Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crownsman Show. I'm your host, Jared Downey. With me today is Gaudi Molina. How are you today? I'm very good. Good. You got enough monitors you're operating over there? I think so. I say <laughs> I think so, but I might require a couple more. <laughs> um, we've got a uh, show, another one of these shows that I've wanted to do for a long time um, to talk about the law side of um, taking over companies, passing companies on selling companies, um, all that fun stuff that we all look forward to having to inevitably do at some point. Um, so we have Pratiba Sharma from Clark Wilson. She's a partner at Clark Wilson. She will be joining us today. Very excited to have, have her. Um, I've known Pratiba for a, a couple of years now, a few years. And um, so I'm excited to be able to actually have her on the show. First, Gowdy, who are the sponsors today? Alrighty, so first up we have PowerZone Equipment. When you need a specialized team of world-class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering, or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit PowerZone.com. In addition to their inventory of rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems, no matter the challenge, no matter the location. Get in the zone with PowerZone. Visit them at PowerZone.com. And of course, we have Savinaw Equipment. Savinaw Equipment supplies new and used mining equipment around the world from placer to underground to ore processing plants. They have gold concentrating tables, trommels, and mineral jigs in stock now to take advantage of the high gold prices. Visit them at SavinawEquipment.com where you will find more equipment every day. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, I totally forgot to like. Shutting um, me off. Yeah, now, I totally did. <laughs> I want to take over the show. <laughs> okay, good. I'm. I need to go somewhere. Oh, we can't travel right now. No. Anyway, um, Pratiba, very good to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us and representing Clark Wilson. We're going to cover a lot today. Uh, thank you for for joining the show. Thank you so much, Jared. Thanks for having me on the show. I am very excited to be here and speak to all the issues that uh, you already stated in your introduction. Yeah, there's, I mean, all of the stuff that I, that I mentioned is stuff that I've seen or even somewhat been a part of. Um, so it's, I mean, we've had conversations offline uh, of, of some of those examples. We're going to run into a little bit of a thing today because you obviously are representing clients. So most shows, we can give very specific examples, um, which I don't, I'm guessing you're probably not allowed to do. Yeah, I mostly work for privately owned businesses. So, you know, confidentiality reasons uh, prohibit me from naming clients, but uh, we can go through some examples of situations that uh, I've faced. Okay, let's, before we get, before we get into that, and I've got a kind of a list of different scenarios and things that I want to get into. I'm, I'm very excited about it, as you can tell, but I, I just want to, uh, let's, let's, uh, who is Clark Wilson? Are they primarily, do they deal with clients on the business side? Uh, that's right. Uh, so we're a Vancouver-based, uh, globally connected firm. Uh, we primarily deal with uh, business clients and, um, you know, whatever business legal needs um, our clients um, have. Uh, we have approximately um, just under 100 lawyers um, at the moment uh, who practice in various areas, uh, both on the solicitor side and litigation side. Um, so we are Vancouver-based, uh, but we're globally connected in the way that um, we help our BC clients um, through our extensive network of resources outside of the BC jurisdiction uh, to expand outside of BC uh, and also internationally. And on the flip side, we help our um, 
uh, international clients or clients outside of BC uh, expand into uh, the BC market, either through acquisitions or investments um, or to just establish their business here. I so wish I could ask you very specific questions about companies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, the, in 2020, obviously we, we don't need to, you know, we don't, we don't need to go into everything about it, but I, I think globally we're all accepting that that was a bit of a crazy year um, for a firm like yourself. Does that, is it a whole new workload um, coming off the heels of, of a year like that and going into 2021? Uh, so definitely, you know, um, there was a bit of an adjustment period um, early on uh, in 2020 uh, where businesses and our firm uh, were reacting and responding to what was going on um, and especially distancing measures. And so that resulted in a lot of different types of issues uh, coming up for clients. And, you know, as if I was to sum it up, I would say on the one hand, there were some unique challenges that resulted from what was going on um, around the world um, and new issues. But on the other hand, um, it, uh, the year really served to emphasize the very legal issues and, and uh, um, you know, that we have been advising our clients on all along uh, that they should really be thinking about, uh, not just when there is um, an unprecedented uh, event and unexpected um, occurrence um, such as what we faced, uh, but uh, you know there could be any number of events that come out of um, the woodwork and 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 being prepared um, is really important. So you know um, can't go into too many details um, in terms of client names, et cetera, but you know some of the new and unique issues and challenges that um, uh, were coming up were a lot of um, initiatives and, and funding, and there's so much information out there. So um, our firm has created and continues to maintain a COVID-19 um, uh, resource page uh, where uh, you can find lots of articles and, um, you know, podcasts and interviews and um, lots of legal issues are discussed. So I encourage uh, people to look at that at our website, uh, cwilson.com. Um, in terms of issues, you know, uh, initially it was, how do we proceed with decision-making, you know, at a distance? Um, so uh, things like uh, transitioning from in-person meetings to virtual meetings uh, was a big thing, um, you know, while complying with legislative requirements and uh, the requirements of corporate um, constating documents, uh, because there are um, specific rules around holding uh, virtual meetings and uh, how they are to proceed and what re what requirements need to be met, such as proper notice requirements, um, you know, adequate um, ability for everybody who's participating to actually participate, you know, ask questions um, and state their points of view. So those types of issues came up. And um, for the most part, we were able to help our clients with um, electronic documents, so signing um, you know, uh, documents electronically, not necessarily putting pen to paper, uh, with the exception of a few areas uh, where that can't be done. Um, you know, so we navigated around um, those issues. And of course, workplace issues uh, were um, front of mind for uh, a lot of business owners um, needing to um, address reduced business needs, um, you know, office closures, et cetera. So remote working arrangements and all the ancillary issues that come along with it in terms of data protection and privacy. Um, privacy legislation requires 
businesses to properly, um, you know, protect personal information that is in their possession. So policies around that, um, assisting clients with um, cybersecurity and technology-based policies. So those types of issues, um, you know, were uh, were new for uh, many businesses because they hadn't turned their minds to it. Um, Another issue that came up was contractual performance. Um, so some businesses uh, ran into issues where they weren't able to uh, meet their obligations, uh, such as supplying goods and services or, uh, you know, importantly, making payments. And so there were a lot of discussions around um, whether those, um, in the face of everything that was happening, whether those contractual obligations actually continue or can they be deferred, can they be postponed, uh, suspended. Um, so, you know, generally speaking, it, if there's a written contract, it is the terms of the written contract um, that, um, the gov that governs the arrangement between the parties. So um, it was very important to review uh, the contractual terms properly, but also there were some mechanisms by which we were able to negotiate um, alternate arrangements and um, seek deferrals and um, you know buy some time for our clients through mutual dialogue and negotiation. So those were some of the, the issues that um, businesses faced and um, you know certainly disputes. Um, courts were closed um, for the most part, uh, but for some essential um, and urgent hearings stipulated by the courts. So there were negotiations, there were alternative um, dispute resolution mechanisms like mediations and arbitrations, which um, still occurred. Um, you know, those were, those were some, some challenges and some new, um, you know, things that businesses hadn't turned their minds to before. But I think even more importantly, um, the year highlighted what, what uh, we have been telling our clients they should be prepared for. And that is, you know, plan early, um, have, a, have a succession plan in place, have an exit plan in place. Uh, because what happened last year is just one example of um, an event that was outside of, of our control. Um, and uh, business owners had to react to it. But there are other triggering events like the death of you know, a business owner or the, the departure of a key employee. Um, these are also um, events that could um, you know, lead to some serious issues for businesses so, and have led to serious issues for businesses. So um, you know, uh, last year's situation really uh, made it clear that early planning, preparation, seeking early legal advice and not just legal advice, you know, tax, accounting advice, having evaluation for your business, knowing what your business is worth, having an idea, um, you know, having uh, a legal audit done of your business, knowing that you own the assets that you think you own. Mm -hmm. um, you won't believe, uh, you know, there was a situation where um, the business um, intellectual property was, you know, primarily the asset that uh, a purchaser was interested in buying. And the business uh, owner thought that the company owned that asset, uh, but it was a contractor who had actually um, created that um, intellectual property and had not assigned it over to the business. So, uh, you know, it just came as a surprise to the business owner um, right before a transaction was about to close because they had to make representations. Um, about owning that asset and, and it caused delays, you know, it caused um, several months of delays. Um, 
and we were able to resolve that issue. But um, just getting your house in order um, essentially is, um, you know, what what came out of last year uh, for um, our business clients. For you, um, going back to this, something you said right at the very beginning is um, the like legislative challenges um, where people actually need to be in person. Even uh, actually, I want to take it back a step further that as a law firm, mm-hmm. how how big was the adjustment? Of course, this show, we're, we're primarily focusing on your clients, but from your perspective, how big of a challenge and uh, of a pivot did you have to do as an organization and as lawyers to all of a sudden be accommodating this and even finding out um, what the rules really were or or lack thereof, because I know there was a lot of gray area that happened um, in 2020. How did you, I mean, how did you approach it? Was it, was it serve the client and then go home and, and try to get up to date on all these, these different things that are as they're coming out? Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned that we have um, just under a hundred lawyers. So there are a lot of minds working, um, you know, to address these issues and very quickly. Um, and in terms of our, you know, transition out of the office to a remote working arrangement that happened within days. And in fact, it was quite seamless. Um, I have to give um, a big shout out to our um, our systems team and our, our management here uh, for handling that so seamlessly. And you know, um, our, our lawyers and staff members um, were uh, working remotely, but uh, we didn't really um, experience a disruption in, in the services that we were providing. Clients were able to reach us. Um, lots of um, you know, uh, meetings such as the one we're having right now um, and phone calls. And um, we had uh, regular um, you know, town hall uh, meetings um, within the firm as well, so that everybody was um, uh, was kept um, apprised of of the various changes, and um, you know, as a group, we tackled it, and um, and I'm quite I'm I'm quite proud of how the how the group managed um, together, and the clients, you know, have given great feedback because lots of businesses immediately started um, seeing the impact, and you know, they needed help. So uh, that's what we're here for. We're here to help clients, um, and um, and we continue to do that. Did the did you see a discrepancy between, let's say, a organization with 150 employees as opposed to 50? Because the, the thing the, the thing, especially when it comes to legal support, um, is is that there is a cost to it. And a company that's got 150 employees, of course, they they can they can more easily afford to have lawyers on retainers and now a company uh, essentially through no fault their own other than perhaps maybe not planning properly in 2020 they've got 50 employees and all of a sudden they're needing all this legal support because they've got people spread all over the country and i mean there was still like you said there were still partners that were passing away or people that need to transition out or selling their company or an investment company out of the u.s is coming to canada there's all these things still happen um did you find is was it a was it an extra strain on a company with with 50 employees as opposed to the the 150 uh, plus employee company? Um, every situation is different, and and we work with our clients um, to uh, accommodate their needs, and um, and you know it, it is truly unprecedented uh, this time that we um, all faced and we all faced together. So. Um, 
yes, you know, it is a strain and the strain was different uh, depending on the industry uh, that the clients were in, but uh, we certainly did our best uh, to work with our clients. And it, it was amazing to get, you know, feedback from some business owners, particularly small business owners, um, you know, writing notes uh, uh, after we managed to deal with um, some issues such as um, the death of, of some of the um, you know, business partners, unfortunately, uh, to say that they're very thankful um, for the partnership really uh, with them to help save their business and, uh, you know, address their issues. So um, every business is different, but, you know, we work together with our clients um, to make sure that um, the arrangement works. The, the something I'm very interested to, to dive into today was um, the, 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 you mentioned it already, contractual obligations, um, leasing issues. I mean, that was just, uh, I mean, there is, again, without naming names, but I mean, we, we probably all know of companies. Some of them had locations all across Canada. Um, and I mean, all of a sudden that it's, uh, it's still the same shop, but it's under a different name and all kinds of stuff that you're seeing now. Because these, I mean, just in the leasing, I mean, you must have been just inundated with that, um, both from the uh, the tenant perspective and the landlord perspective. Um, I mean, companies at every size though were affected in that in that stream. That's right. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, contractual obligations, the, the terms of the lease uh, does govern the arrangement of the agreement between the parties. But at the end of the day, you know, where landlords were potentially finding themselves in a situation where there might not be other tenants, you know, available to take over the space, or tenants were finding themselves in the situation where they were unable to meet um, obligations. Uh, parties, um, you know, had had dialogues and and they worked together because ultimately um, the view uh, we tried to take is it's in the best interest of, of both parties, right, to to come up with a resolution. Um, and so we helped our clients. Uh, definitely navigate through those issues uh, within the parameters of the lease, but also, you know, sometimes um, needing to come up with uh, creative solutions. And um, there were um, agreements to defer some pay uh, some payments, uh, which landlords accepted. Um, and uh, there were, um, you know, tenants who were able to meet uh, do partial payments. Um, and then certainly there were um, some, there were some um, government relief as well. So, you know, we helped our clients and there were lots of questions around that. And um, we've mm -hmm. got a whole department that was uh, very busy doing that. Is there, there's a, there's a, you, you, you've touched on it now and it's a, something that very, that I'm very, of course, as a business owner, I'm very interested in is there, there's the, there's what's on the paper, but then there's what's, what the real world is, is sort of throwing at you. Mm -hmm. And, do you find, especially in these times, that that's a lot of times what your role was, is to to sort of help both parties? I mean, you're obviously representing one, but you're essentially helping both parties um, through these these situations that neither one of them have, have. We've all seen a version of it before, but not on sort of a global scale. So is that is that really what you're trying to do? Is trying to, in a way, get them off the paper and to to a place of agreement? That's right. I mean, I, even on the transactional side, you know, we like to uh, consider ourselves deal makers, right? And um, as a solicitor, my job often is to uh, try to avoid uh, disputes and uh, try to implement uh, solutions that will 
um, address uh, future uh, disputes. So it was that kind of role. Um, you know, sometimes um, a client needs their lawyer to step in and, and have that, um, you know, write a letter or have a phone call and, and, and have a discussion with um, uh, the other side and, and the lawyer on the other side um, and negotiate an arrangement. And certainly um, that happened. There, there are people that are listening to you right now that are just feverishly taking notes. Um, <laughs> um, so um, I wanted to get into, actually before, there's a couple of things I want to talk about, like like uh, the, the takeovers and there was something that you brought up um, outside of this conversation, which was like internal management buyouts, which I just found absolutely fascinating. Um, hopefully the audience will as well. But there's something that I sort of wonder, um, for, in my day to day, when I'm when I'm doing this interview, it's 95% of it is a, pl- a pleasant experience. Every now and then, you know, someone doesn't like the picture that we use of them. Maybe we got an edit wrong, or you know, there's a sound issue, so we, you know, we essentially have to reshoot the whole thing. There, there's challenges. It's any business, but 95% is a pleasant experience. In your position, a lot of times people are in a they're in a bad situation, trying to avoid a bad situation or they're trying to come out in the head in a bad situation. <laughs> so it's kind of all centered around the, these things, not all the time, of course. Um, but I, I'm just curious, and, and I wouldn't say as a lawyer, but as an individual, because obviously every lawyer feels differently about it. Where does it sort of, do you enjoy going in, you know, it, the meeting's coming at 10 o'clock and you know the person is not happy on the other end and not necessarily directed at you, but just with the situation that they're in, like a lease agreement, you know, they've signed a five-year lease. Now their, their doors are closed. They, you know, there's all these stuff that goes in. They're just not a happy person. Mm-hmm. How do you sort of, how do you sort of approach that? You get up in the morning and you're going into a meeting knowing that's coming. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, like I said, I, I am in this profession to help uh, my clients and, I recognize that um, even though I'm a corporate lawyer and I work with business owners um, and, you know, we hear the word business a lot, we can't lose sight of the human um, element, right? And, and so these businesses are owned by real people like you and I, and, um, you know, they put a lot into it um, on a day-to-day basis. And they're in the business of running their business. I'm in the business of uh, providing legal advice. So I like to um, always keep that in mind. Um, you know, even if um, somebody is really stressed out, they're coming to me for help um, because I um, am and most likely going to be able to offer a solution that they um, you know, uh, couldn't have come up with on their own because uh, because I'm, um, you know, a legal practitioner and they're not. Um, so I like to keep that in mind always and, you know, um, separate um, that, um, um, you know, uh, don't take it the wrong way if somebody is stressed out and, and just try to understand at a human level um, what they're going through. Um, and it happens, you know, there are um, business owners who have successfully run their uh, businesses for decades and, and on the day of closing, they get super emotional and they just don't want to proceed. You know, that's happened. Um, and so uh, at that time, um, it's, a, it's an emotional event. It's uh, for many people, um, you know, certain events such as uh, business succession and selling their business is a once in a lifetime event. Um, so we, you know, definitely have to understand um, uh, the emotion behind it and, 
and um, and work with that. So I, I just like to always, you know, uh, remember that, right? I mean, there are, people are running businesses, people are exchanging information, um, you know, uh, and so just just remembering the human side and working with uh, privately owned businesses, um, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy doing it um, for that reason because. Um, you know, the clients that I work with uh, care so much about the business, they care so much about their employees. Um, and, you know, they're trying to find a solution. So um, I always like to keep that in mind, even if it's a, um, a heated, uh, you know, uh, situation or someone is, um, uh, is stressed out. That, that, that's an, an interesting approach. And, uh, and there's a reason I, the reason I wanted to ask that, because I always, you know, even when I've been in these high, these high, <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking at the other person, I'm thinking they must just like I'm not enjoying this. Um, <laughs> but but <laughs> there's no way they are. But but that that sort of um, um, hmm, I sorry, we, something just popped up that I'm muted now. I don't think I am, but no, just some sort of little glitch. Um, and uh, but yeah, I just I I kind of wonder how they approach it. So I, I think the way that you laid it out is very interesting. Um, you brought up something, um, internal management buyouts. I, I don't know if I'm doing the correct term or not for that, but um, these companies now, you know, coming out of 2020, 2021, I know it's not a new thing, of course, management sort of essentially bailing out the company and taking ownership. Um, did you see more of that happening um, last year with companies sort of all of a sudden hitting a wall and then needing needing management to step in? You know, it's interesting. Um, I did see a few examples of it um, and it wasn't necessarily uh, driven by uh, companies hitting a wall and needing management to step in. Um, it's, it's an interesting, um, you know, uh, world that we live in because we see all the, the motivations and we hear the motivations behind the decisions that business owners are making. Um, so even though, um, you know, I'll back up a little bit, um, there was um, a, a bit of a slowdown in the transactional market um, and, and, you know, transactions were on hold or, um, you know, on the flip side, some people, once they adjusted to what was happening, decided to move transactions up and they wanted to exit. Um, and because there are so many different drivers of these transactions, um, it didn't really last throughout the whole year. So by summertime, you know, transactions that were on hold started picking up um, and uh, many completed successfully uh, by the end of 2020, not just to um, uh, internal, um, you know, employees or management, um, but certainly to third parties that they had been negotiating with before. And many businesses um, didn't even see a drop in their value. Um, you know, of course, there's a lot there. It's, it's dependent on industry. Um, of course, it's dependent on um, also the fact that, you know, interest rates are so low. And so um, a lot of strategic acquirers um, also stepped in. Um, but the decision about management, um, you know, bio buyouts and, and for a seller to a uh, business owner to sell to uh, management can be driven by just the fact that, um, you know, there's someone who's homegrown and, and has really given a lot to the business. And, and I've had clients want to transition their business to certain um, uh, management employees who they, they feel will take the business in the right direction. 
and who are so intimately familiar with the business that they think that's the right choice. Um, and it's not necessarily driven by, by necessity um, that they don't have any other parties, but sometimes it's just a decision they've made. Um, sure, you know, other times, uh, because privately owned businesses, especially, you know, some smaller businesses, if they have found it hard um, to uh, find a buyer or a transaction, um, you know, hasn't gone through, um, management has stepped up and, and they've made an offer. Um, so they've definitely um, entertained that. And um, in those scenarios, you know, uh, there are some, some things that come up, for example, um, because because the prospective buyer is already intimately familiar with the business, you know it could reduce the due diligence phase, right? Which is um, which happens at the outset when a buyer is wanting to to buy a business. So um, they already know a lot about the business, and um, uh, there could be confidentiality concerns. For example, if it's a third party buyer um, coming in to examine um, a business uh, and getting uh, a lot of information about employees, customers, um, et cetera, you know, it's strongly recommended that a, a confidentiality agreement be in place. But despite that, you know, if a third party is coming in, it creates different issues. So a lot of business owners feel if there is an offer from someone who's already on the inside, um, you know, there's a little bit less risk, um, at least in terms of um, business secrets being um, you know, uh, provided to a third party. Um, now, having said that, um, some management um, um, buyouts, you know, they don't necessarily result in uh, management outright buying the business and paying the full purchase price on closing. Uh, many times, uh, you know, there are challenges in terms of coming up with the full purchase price. Uh, so sometimes uh, there is a deferred uh, purchase price component or a vendor financing component whereby, um, you know, management might need um, some time to pay the purchase price. And in that case, uh, we structure it um, as a staged buyout um, and, you know, provide um, some uh, uh, incentive uh, for uh, management to uh, essentially earn um, equity uh, going forward by growing the business, um, you know, um, and, uh, and, and money generated and the growth in the business can then be used to help them, you know, uh, to buy um, an additional stake in the business. So there are lots of different um, strategies in terms of structuring them. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, um, yes, I have, um, I have uh, seen more of that. Um, of late. Um, however, it's not necessarily only driven by the fact that there's nobody else out there. Yeah, fair enough. Um, did these, uh, what was I going to ask? Um, I might have to come back to that because I actually, um, I forgot my question. It does happen. I'm sorry, Pratipa. <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, what I was going to ask about is um, there, there's a, the, the term goodwill gets gets used a lot as, uh, when you're looking to transition out, sell your company. And that term is, uh, is I, I think, tricky to every, all the parties involved, especially with, you look at, you know, you mentioned you work with uh, companies that are three or four people. A lot of times, especially the smaller companies, they are very heavily reliant on a key figure within the organization. Um, Oh, actually, I do. I, I do remember what I was going to ask you, and I want to go back to it. I'm going to jump over the goodwill, but I do want to get this question in. Sure. Do, um, 
when when you're, they're, you're structuring these, um, like if it's an internal management buyout or or any sort of or any sort of buyout, you know, vendor takebacks and these types of things, are you suggesting that, or do they come with it? Um, do they come saying what they want to do, and then you're putting it together, or do you actually lay out these different options for them? You know, it could be. Um, it, it, every situation is different, of course, uh, but also it depends on. Uh, who we're acting for in that scenario, scenario, right? So if we're acting for um, the seller of a business and um, they have received, um, you know, the, the business owner um, and who is selling the business and, and that owner has received an offer uh, from management, which is structured in a certain way, we will certainly give our input um, in order to manage the risk, right? And, and to ensure that um, the uh, owner who's selling ends up with, um, good value and ends up with what they actually think they're ending up with. You know, um, on the sell side, uh, the last thing um, uh, we would want is for the seller to think that they're going to end up with a certain purchase price. And because it's been staged um, over time, the payment is staged over time, uh, and that they don't actually see, you know, uh, the rest of the payment in the future. So we will, when acting for the seller um, make sure that we um, implement a plan um, uh, to manage that risk and uh, to put protections in the agreement uh, to ensure that the the owner uh, ends up with what they think that you know that they're going to end up with. Um, on the other hand, sometimes uh, we're approached by uh, someone who is interested in making such an offer to. Um, the business owner for whom they work. And in that case, you know, we try to understand the situation of the, uh, of the buyer and, um, and work with them in terms of what it is they can, um, you know, afford to do and uh, what may be some ways in which um, uh, they can propose a structure uh, which may be, um, you know, in, which may encourage the owner to actually entertain their offer. So really it depends on which side uh, we're acting for and it's a, it's a risk management uh, risk allocation issue i'm sure you must have though over time uh seen people that they're coming in and they're they're doing something they're wanting to do and not even knowing that they have an option that's correct right. oh yeah absolutely so when we have the initial discussion um all the various options are definitely going to be discussed yeah because you know, uh, most people aren't out there uh, <laughs> investing in too many businesses. You know, there are some people, um, you know, uh, who are definitely um, serial entrepreneurs and and uh, and uh, they're involved in a lot of businesses. But many business owners um, are not, and um, and certainly many uh, management um, level employees are are not in the business of buying and selling businesses. So, um, because of our experience and working on you know, hundreds of transactions or over the years, um, I'm able to, uh, to work with them in terms of proposing a structure that works. Yeah, it's, uh, if, I wish I could be just, I wish I could like take like a, a year course for being an accountant and a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, the, um, going back to the goodwill, the, the goodwill, uh, I won't say an issue, sometimes it's not an issue, but, but when it is, that must be uh, when we talk about dealing with sort of the even the emotional side, um, because people put years, sometimes years and years into building or or even just five really hard years into building a company that's sort of built around them. Um, 
that I, well, I guess the first question I would have was, have you seen that where, how common is it to see that someone's putting a goodwill evaluation, essentially they're on their way out, assuming someone else can do what they have spent 30 years learning how to do. Um, Is that something you run into quite a bit? So, you know, just speaking of goodwill, um, there is obviously the, you know, the accounting and and, uh, aspect of it in terms of allocating value for the business to goodwill, um, you know, of a business if if a, um, uh, a transaction is structured in a certain way. So I won't speak to that. But, you know, uh, just generally speaking, this concept of goodwill, um, if we define it to be, um, you know, what's the value that um, an outsider uh, places on the business and, and where really, you know, where are they placing the value? Are they placing the value um, uh, of the business based on um goodwill that's been generated because of the name of the business, um, you know, the family name, um, the business owner, um, you know, when, when you look at it in, in those terms, um, yes, uh, you know, we run into it quite often where um, some um, businesses uh, have a reputation and goodwill around the person who has, you know, run the business for a very long time. And uh, buyers are interested in preserving that. Um, so the goodwill, goodwill can sometimes be associated with the name itself. So sometimes it might be a family name. So that is something we turn our minds to in terms of structuring the deal. Like, does that stay when a new buyer, um, you know, takes over the business? Um, because that's what, um, you know, the outside world um, associates with the business. Um, many times it also um, comes up where, uh, someone is very much interested in um, keeping the person who is so fundamental uh, to running the operations and running the business um, for a per- period of time after closing uh, by way of a, a transitional services agreement or a consulting arrangement so that they can, you know, uh, more smoothly transition the business to um, the new owner uh, by making introductions to customers Um, you know, helping with, you know, the employees of the business, because, you know, there might be hundreds of employees and and they're used to um, dealing with that particular business owner. And there's a certain culture, you know, associated with the business. So um, it it becomes very important for that business owner to stay on um, after a period of time. Now, when acting for business owners who are selling I, um, you know, very clearly advise them not to let someone into their business and start running their business before they own it, you know, before they have actually paid for it, right? So um, what I mean by that is um, quite often, um, you know, a buyer might be interested in in buying a business and they will ask to um, have conversations with employees, have conversations with customers. And, you know, it's a very risky proposition because when once somebody comes in and starts to, one, know confidential information, and two, start to act like a business owner, what you, the business owner starts to lose leverage, right, in terms of negotiating power, um, losing negotiating power because somebody else has already started acting as a business owner. Um, and what if the transaction doesn't happen? So we don't want them to feel stuck that they have to, you know, um, negotiate a certain term a certain way because right. the employees and customers are already thinking somebody new is owner. So because we advise against that, um, you know, to preserve that goodwill, going back to what you were saying, 
um, it, it becomes essential in many circumstances for um, the business owner to stay on. Um, it becomes tricky, um, you know, unfortunately, this has come up on, on um, uh, more than two uh, files uh, recently where the business owner um, uh, ended up passing away uh, because of um, unforeseen circumstances. It was completely unexpected. And, you know, that, that impacts the value. Um, in one particular case, um, there was no succession plan in place. Um, and uh, the, the business just, you know, uh, went to the estate of the business owner and um, the, the family members who inherited it, you know, didn't have the expertise or the desire to run it. Um, so a prospective buyer who was on the table, you know, to buy the business, uh, very much interested in the business owner um, uh, as the, the person running the business and, and very fundamentally important to the business uh, ended up uh, offering a lower price. And, you know, so th those challenges um, come up um, uh, from time to time um, and, and, you know, uh, we're uh, faced with having to negotiate for our clients and, and walk them through that. Yeah. It's, I mean, some of the stuff you're, you're talking about is, I mean, it's, there's probably anybody listening to this has seen the situation in some version or another. Um, and it's, it can be quite, it can be, it can be quite sad actually, in some cases, um, the, it, you know, you talked at the beginning about the importance of planning and, you know, it's something that's hard, uh, you know, from, from your side of the table, it's, it's, it's very clear how important it is to plan. What is, I think a challenge is um, our company, for instance, will look completely different a year from now if, if we do well, it continues to evolve. And I think that is where businesses have, you know, if, let's say you're a manufacturing plant. You, you know, you, you have a very consistent product. You have some sort of widget. There, there is some, there, there's some, you can sort of build the structure out of that. But these companies that are very continuously involving, maybe it's only a five or 10-year-old company. It's tough. It's tough to even know what to plan for. So where do you start? If you're, if you're talking to someone who's like myself and, and you're saying, okay, you need to start a succession plan and have shareholder structure in place and evaluate the company. And I mean, yeah. where, do, where do you even start on that? If you're a company that is in essentially growth mode. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, that's a great question, Jared. Uh, I think you start with um, the concept that I, um, you know, mentioned earlier, which is uh, take a legal audit, right, of your situation, um, speak with an advisor. And, you know, um, you know, if, if you and I were to um, talk about um, some legal issues and, and planning for the future, you know, I would ask you, um, you know, uh, what, what do your corporate records and uh, look like? Um, you know, have you properly documented, um, you know, who the shareholders are? Um, who are the shareholders, right? Um, and are the shares properly issued? Um, you will not believe, you know, um, how many very successfully run businesses who have operated for decades um, didn't even have um, basic corporate records um, maintained over, over several years. Um, we ran into one situation where, um, you know, the chain of title was broken and it was hard to even 
identify who the, the rightful owners and shareholders um, of the business were. Um, and, you know, at some point, like all these transfers happened and, and uh, you know, uh, a cl the client had maintained their own records or they, or they moved around um, from, uh, from uh, different firms and records were lost. So we had to go seek a court order. So, you know, when you're, when you are starting out, I know it sounds like, you know, it's, um, well, because it's, it's, there's costs associated with it and you don't know what you don't know. I think you start with just a, a discussion, you know, um, and, and the advisor will ask you the right questions to draw that information out. Um, if there are, are more that if there are numerous shareholders, so, um, you know, two or more shareholders, um, absolutely essential to, um, you know, have a, consider a shareholders agreement. Um, I would ask that question of business owners that have, uh, you know, business partners, i.e. different shareholders um, in the company. And um, a shareholders agreement will give a roadmap. Uh, quite often, these things get discussed, drafts get exchanged, um, and, you know, it never gets finalized or doesn't get signed by all the parties. And, and you know, when you later run into a dispute or, you know, a situation where, um, you know, shareholders can't get along or, or directors of a company can't mutually agree on a decision, there can be a deadlock. And, and what is the way to resolve that? You know, if there's a shareholder agreement in place, there will be corporate governance issues. There will be some um, provisions in there which would speak to, you know, who gets to appoint directors and nominate and, and, and um, nominate directors um, and who and how are, um, you know, decisions made in the event of a deadlock. Um, how are major decisions, strategic decisions about the business made? Does that involve um, all the shareholders to unanimously agree and approve it? A special majority of at least two thirds, you know, to approve it? These are the types of things that will go in the document. Um, and also exit plans, right? And, and so you can, at the outset, when you are structuring the business, actually implement um, dispute resolution provisions in shareholders agreements and have an exit plan in place. Um, you know, if there are minority shareholders involved, for instance, um, in the shareholder agreement to plan for the future, you could um, have drag along provisions or tag along provisions, uh, which which mean that um, if a majority shareholder ends up um, selling uh, to uh, another party in the future, um, then the then they they have the right to drag the minority shareholder um, along in the sale because a third party might not be interested in buying, um, you know, a business um, with a minor with another minority shareholder. Right. They might want to just buy all the shares, right? So that's a provision you want to make sure um, is in your your agreement. On the flip side, a minority shareholder will want to ensure they have a tag along right. So if the majority doesn't drag them along, they have the ability to require them to do so, right? right. Um, so these are the you know the types of questions when you start having these discussions. Um, have a discussion early on with an advisor, and 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 you'll start to identify these issues, right? Because uh, plan early, think about the future. What if you know, um, what if there is a, a family law dispute and, you know, if somebody has another shareholder in the company and that shareholder um, goes through um, a separation or a divorce with, with their spouse, um, a business, uh, their business partner might not want to end up with someone's 
um, you know, ex-spouse as a potential business owner. So, so a shareholders agreement would address that, um, you know, um, and or, or what would happen in the event of a death of a shareholder. So these are the things that you start to think about, you know, will the estate um, get to um, require the company or the other shareholders to buy the shares uh, of a deceased shareholder? Or will, um, you know, the company have that right? Or will the other shareholders have the right so that they don't end up with um, another shareholder in the company uh, with whom they didn't actually start the business? So, so you start to think about, you know, um, uh, the exit plan uh, at the beginning, right? And, and if you haven't put it in place, then I, I say you start to have these um, discussions and, um, and your assets, you know, I, I alluded to this earlier, um, your assets include um, your contracts, your tangible assets, your intangible assets like intellectual property um, and, you know, your employees as well. So you start to think about, you know, what if an employee leaves? Uh, what are the obligations? What if they start competing, you know, uh, set up a competing business? Do I have protections in place um, to ensure that they don't steal my, my other employees when they go somewhere else to a competitor or don't steal my customers? You know, so, so you start to think about these issues and then, um, you know, uh, a legal advisor can help you document them um, in, in agreement so that you, you don't find yourself um, in a situation uh, as a business owner. Um, in the future where there's, there's no, um, you know, uh, written uh, exit mechanism or dispute resolution mechanism. As we, as we close off this interview, I, I am curious, how often does a company come in, any size, and they are prepared? <laughs> they've got it right. They've done all their succession. They've got their minority shareholders, all that worked out. They've got, you know, um, you know a death of a partner, all, everything's lined, everything's lined up evaluations yeah. are done how often does, does that happen do, do you <laughs> someone comes in and goes here it is and you go yep this is right i just need to facilitate this now <laughs> does it ever happen <laughs> it, it's happened where uh we have helped uh, you know with the formation and expansion <laughs> certainly because uh we you know uh you advise um and you work with them over time um and you know, and quite often with the light of right legal advice, yes, of course we see it. Um, but uh, more often than not, there there are you know issues that need to be addressed. So there is there is always cleanup work to be done before um, a sale event can happen, um, and it could be any number of issues, right? It could be cleaning up uh, who owns the shares. It could be cleaning up the corporate records. Um, you know, dealing with um, uh, some dispute with a minority shareholder. And so whatever uh, form that takes, um, I think if you, I keep going back to the same thing, uh, it, it rarely happens that everything is in order, but of course it happens, you know, when, when, um, when companies have sought the right advice at the right time uh, from all of their professional advisors. Um, and it's just through dialogue and, and you know, um, discussions that, that um, business owners can, can discover, even if they're not in that, at that stage right now where there are issues to address, they can be, um, they can start to address them now. And in the future, um, you know, when they go speak with someone, they'll say, I've got my house in order. I have addressed these issues, so. I, um, when I was prepping for this interview, I, I actually had the conscious thought that this show, if there's even one person that's running a company that takes something from this show, 
and it saves them some of the headaches that I've seen happen. Um, it's a show worth doing. Pratibha, I'm really, I'm really glad you came on. I mean, we, it's, there's so much that we cover on this show. Um, I mean, last year we just, we, you know, the, I've told the story a hundred times, you know, we, we started out completely promoting something else. And we went from a show a month to a show a week in March. We're going up. We're already booked all the way into March. Now we're, uh, you know, doing, talking about going to three a week and, you know, it's gotten really, really busy, but this side that you're talking about today is every single company at some point is going to have to deal with at least one or probably about five of the points that you brought up. So, so thank you for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. And I hope, I hope you enjoyed it because you, you need to come back because it's, we're kind of scratching the surface here and even if it was once a year to have you come in and unpack these different challenges, I just think it would offer so much value to us. I absolutely would love to do that. And, you know, thank you so much, Jared, for the opportunities uh, to, to be on the show and uh, to just touch upon some of these issues, right? I, I mean, I deal with them day in and day out, and I absolutely um, love, you know, helping our clients address them. Um, because like I said, you know, business owners are in the business of uh, running their businesses and um, I, I'm, you know, come across all these legal issues. So I'm, I'm very happy to have, um, you know, touched upon some of the, some of them. And, and I encourage anyone um, who is listening to, you know, just uh, pick up the phone or drop an email and, and we, we can have a conversation, you know, and, and figure it out together in terms of uh, what might be required. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Yes, and we'll, and we'll, of course, have links and everything like that. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm going to do a quick sign-up with Gowdy. Um, but, yes, I definitely hope to have you back. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Jared. Well, I see talking to Pratibha why I did not become a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like I said, we've, we've known each other um, for, for a few years. So I knew she, there was lots of good information to be shared. I'm glad we, glad we finally got her on the show. Yeah. Um, Gowdy, um, what did we learn today? <laughs> this is where the test, we, we have an, yeah. a, an exam after the interview. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not multi, uh, multi-choice. Either. No, it's not. Um, uh, where can people go to follow us, subscribe? We'll have a link to obviously, to, yes, uh, of course, through contact Clark Wilson and Pratiba yeah. and everything. Um, but where can people go to suggest new guests as well? I know we said we're booked, but we always want more. Of course. Um, you know, we're booked till March, but there's more months. <laughs> yeah, there's 12. Um, definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, like Jared mentioned, we've got um, tons of episodes on there. We're doing two episodes a week currently and moving up to three. Um, so that will be quite exciting. Um, also follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn uh, at Crownsman P. If you want to contact us, um, whether it's to be part of one of our shows, whether it's the Crownsman Show, Mining Now, or Crownsman Energy, um, or you'd like to, uh, you know, talk about a possible guest, um, mm-hmm. uh, definitely you can email us info at crownsman.com. And we're getting a lot more of those emails lately, I've noticed. They're, yeah. they're, starting, to, they're starting to trickle in. Yeah. LinkedIn, I will say this. If you want a marketing tip for the week, add that as a segment. LinkedIn, unbelievable <laughs> how many people we've connected with on there. It's an unbelievable yeah. platform for businesses. Okay, thank you, everybody. Thank you for watching the show. We'll see you on the next episode. We've got plenty more coming. And thank you again to Pratiba for joining us. We will see you on the next episode of The Crownsman Show.